This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me this week is a man who knows all about 22nd century technology, Mr. Michael Fisher from PocketNow. Michael, how are you doing? Wonderful, Chris. I, I, I'm, I'm recovering. It's uh, one of the hazards of dealing with future technology is sometimes you run into horrible ones, and uh, I'm still recovering from my run-in with the Mind Sifter, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Did I mention we have a mind sifter? Did you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure that core. You know, you made it clear that that they had a mind scanner or sifter, or I think there was even a third term for it. I mean, you just couldn't decide <laughs> I what it was called. I, I thought that's what they should have named the episode "Errand of Mercy." <laughs> Mind Sifter, because he Absolutely. mentions it so many times. Yes, there's a couple inconsistencies in that episode. Put the Vulcan or Vulcanian in the Mind Sifter or Scanner. Well, Michael, this is, you know, I said you know all about 22nd century technology because you're all into the to the cell phones and, and you've, you've got that uh, communicator from Motorola, right? Uh, from Nokia. Years back. Nokia, Nokia, yes, yeah. So, yes. But I didn't invite you on today to talk about technology. I did invite you on to talk about something kind of related to the Mind Sifter, which are the aliens that we meet in the original series episode, Aaron and Mercy, who appeared again on Enterprise. And the thing about Enterprise, especially in the fourth season, is that they reconnected us with a lot of the alien races from TOS. But we think of the big name ones, right? Like Orions and, of course, all through the series, we have Andorians and we have Tellarites and we have Tholians who appear. Mm-hmm. I think people tend to forget that the Organians from Errand of Mercy also make an appearance in Enterprise because they do it in a rather subtle way. It's almost in a fashion where if you're not paying attention until they get to the dialogue where they finally say, hey, I'm an Organian and I'm possessing Trip." You don't really make that connection of, of who these aliens are. That's very true, Chris. Actually, when we when we first discussed kind of talking about uh, doing this show, I was you, you mentioned that they had appeared on Enterprise, and I was like, wait, really? I must have been one of the ones that fell through the cracks. And when I started watching the episode, I realized that it was an episode I had started watching previously. I had never gotten all the way through it. And I, I apparently didn't get far enough through it to realize they were Organians. So this was a wonderful little surprise for me. I didn't realize that this was one of the one of the times Enterprise was calling out the original series and giving us a preview of something we would see on that show. So, and I, I was yeah. very happy in, in that respect to be watching this one. 
it's a really subtle thing. I think even though they do say who they are in the episode, I still think it's kind of a subtle thing. And I also would tend to forget, you know, until I had watched the series through quite a few times, I also would tend to forget that the Organians show up in season four. Now, you probably thought that this episode was called Someone Always Dies. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Talk about grim times in the Enterprise. Someone always dies. But sometimes doesn't. No, someone. They always die. They always die. (laughs) But. You know, 26% of the time they do this and 7% of the time they do that. But 100% of the time someone dies. Everybody dies. 34% (laughs) of the time everybody dies. (laughs) This is the line that is delivered by the senior Organian observer in this episode, which is actually called Observer Effect. Is there anybody on the crew better to deliver that line than Malcolm Reed? Than the stalwart Brit on the crew? Yeah, no. Yeah. And, and it's a wonderful pairing, too, because you have Mayweather, the the, the junior officer, um, being inhabited by the sort of junior Oregonian. And so there, there's a nice little – there's a nice bit of confluence there of, of energy where it's, it's this kind of youthful – uh, almost rebellious, mm-hmm. as we'll discuss in a second. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of sense to him, and I, I thought that was nice. Actually, we got to see, we got to see Travis do something interesting in this episode for once, which didn't always happen. Right, it doesn't happen as much as it should have, for sure. Well, before we really get into further discussion of what happens in the episode, I thought it would be a nice thing to look back at what we know about the Organians from Star Trek prior to this appearance on Enterprise. And there's there's not much. Of course, Star Trek fans who know the original series know the Organians as the like pre-industrial society on Organia. In the episode Errand of Mercy, they're very like agricultural but wise. And then of course they end up being energy at the end. And in the remastered, very, very bright energy. Yes, and it's it's very cool to watch their their introduction in, in that episode because we have Kirk and Spock beaming down into this. We have the establishing shot outside of the the sort of castle wall, and there's very agrarian things all around, and it seems okay. Or they're going to beam down, and it's going to be a hilarious thing, and then nobody cares about them. <laughs> Two guys, one of right. them alien, materialize right in the middle of of the town square, and everyone's like, "Hey, what's going on?" It's just, uh, they don't even say hello, and they remark on it. And it's like you'd think they'd have people beaming down every day. So right o- as right off the start, you, you know that these are uh, are strange folks. Something weird is going on. You mentioned the castle, and I like the the, the footage of the castle that they have. <laughs> yeah. And Spock is like. Look at the castle up there. And I expect Kirk to say, oh, yes, I've seen that in Monty Python in the Holy Grail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the film grain and the atmosphere is rather thick when you look at the castle. Nowhere else, though. Strange. <laughs> <laughs> and the camera's kind of moving just a little bit <laughs> as well. It's pretty clumsy insert. Yeah. That's <laughs> pretty funny. But so so they beam down, but these who these are who the Organians are in Star Trek, and of course, very important in Star Trek lore is the fact that at the end of Errand of Mercy, the Organians impose a treaty on the Klingons in the Federation, the Treaty of Organia, which keeps the Federation and Klingons from all out war. And it stays in effect for a long time. Aaron of Mercy takes place in 2267, and it actually stays in effect until 2293, 
when the Kittimer Accords replace it in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. So it's not something that's talked about very much in Star Trek, but it is established and it's there all along. And it comes from these aliens. Exactly. And that's that's what has always prompted me to remember the Organians more because I, I we've heard more mention of the Organian peace treaty than ever have we you know really heard mention of the Organians themselves. So it's mm-hmm. right up there, as you say, with Kittimer, with the Treaty of Algeron, with um, you know any of these other historic accords as a, a pivotal moment. And I, actually, I should mention it's very well illustrated in a book that I just read that I'm sure you've discussed on Literary Treks, uh, the Federation. Star Trek mm-hmm. uh, Federation, the, the illustrated guide. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, that guy's familiar. And it wasn't until rewatching Aaron of Mercy that I was like, oh, yes, the, the, the leader of the wise men in the castle. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a good name for him, the leader of the wise men. You know, yes. some people call him Aelborn, but others just call him leader of the wise men. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of addressed That's by pretty title. good. Now, we we don't know much about the Organians beyond that on the screen. I mean, this, that's their only appearance in Star Trek until we get to the fourth season of Enterprise. However, in the literature, Greg Cox picked up the Organians at one point, and he did this back in his book called Q-Strike, which was part of this Q-series that, that he did back in the late 90s. And in that book, he ponders that the well he actually sets up the organians as being one of these highly evolved races like the q continuum you know a race that seems almost supernatural to us but actually they are one of those races that once had corporeal form which of course we know that from Aaron of mercy because they tell us there that you know we once had corporeal form but we've evolved beyond that but now they are Sort of, I, I like. I picture the races in the galaxy as having layers, and in the middle, you've got people like the Federation and the Klingons and the Cardassians and and all of these races that we're familiar with. Below that, you've got people like the the Mintakins. You know, for example, you've got these kind of pre-industrialized societies, and then you've got these super races like the Q and the Organians. Now, how does that view of the universe, Chris, factor into the the Richter scale of culture, would you say? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was wondering about that. And so before we recorded, I actually called up old man Richter. Oh, you did. And good. I asked him, you know, what would you do that? And he said it's it's about a 47 on his scale. That's excellent. Good. All right. I wanted to make yeah. sure that, that you, we had a source source for that. that <laughs> that's just the strangest thing ever. When Spock says the Richter scale, I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, it would be an interesting coincidence if, if it would have just been like the Richter, I don't know, what would you call it? The Richter spectrum, the Richter cultural spectrum. I could probably yeah. like not make it, but he calls it the Richter scale of culture. <laughs> of culture. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, you know, you know, what? the Richter scale became really big after it was bought by that big Chinese conglomerate, and they started marketing the hell out of it. And then you've of got the Richter scale of fashion. You know, you've got right. the Richter scale of spiciness, which they used for hot sauces. Interesting. In the, uh, 23rd century. <laughs> yeah, so. that's after the great Sriracha outage uh, or, or, right. or, you know, of, of yeah. the 21st century that was uh, commanded. <laughs> There's also another instance like that in Star Trek, Chris, not to derail you too much, but in Star Trek Judgment Rights, the old CD-ROM game. Uh-huh. Yeah, I played uh, that. The you know there's you're on the planet at one point and there's these rocks and Spock's like yeah, these checks the tricorders these measure an eight point seven on the M H O S hardness scale 
<laughs> I played it right as I was taking like eighth grade uh, geology or something. I was like, they mean, do they mean Moe's? Was there a typo in the script and they the voiceover guys didn't catch it or, or what? But anyway. I, I think the H meant hyper. That's yeah. just it's like the next level up from that. That's right. Yeah, the hyper the hyper Moe's spectrum on yeah. hyper channel. All right, good. Yes. <laughs> But so uh, getting back to Greg Cox's book, though, and what he did with them, there's this battle between the Q continuum and this entity called zero. Mm -hmm. And the just as the Organians intervened between the Klingons and the Federation in Arena Mercy, they're kind of doing the same thing here. And they will, you know, clasp their hands together and kind of meditate to project an aura of peace and dignity. Peace which and is, dignity, yes. Which is not what you get from them in the Enterprise episode that we're discussing today, but it is what you get from them in Aaron and Mercy. So somewhere between Observer Effect and Aaron and Mercy, there's been a lot of soul-searching amongst the Organians, I think, and they've evolved quite a bit in 100 years. And I like to think that it was the junior Observer who inhabited Travis for most of the episode, who who spurred that. He's kind of like the Spock of the mirror universe. He's going to make a difference. Hmm. Yeah, you know, that that may well be, Chris. I, I initially was really dogging on the Enterprise episode for that because of that inconsistency. And I don't see a, a big cultural shift happening naturally without some big incitement in this culture, which mm -hmm. apparently takes, you know, 5,000 years to do things is not enough time in their, in their book, you know, so... But uh, I, I like the idea that after the events of this Enterprise episode, there was a big shift in the Organian thinking with regard to first contact procedures and how they treat others. Mm -hmm. But but there there are some nice commonalities that remain. You know, the way I see that, you, you mentioned their time skills are, are vast and like nothing moves quickly for them. And they say that they were corporeal millions of years ago. So they've been non-corporeal for a very, very long time. And the the way I see what's going on here, part of what this episode of Enterprise is about for me is it's the search for the Organian society to, to find compassion again. Because I feel like, and this is what I see in the Q continuum as well, is that because they've evolved the powers that they have, and we, we should talk about some of the special abilities they have as well. But because they have evolved these powers, over these vast timescales, they've forgotten what it's like to, to be mortal and what it's like to have compassion because the senior observer is just like, it's not our fault and we're not going to do anything. It's protocol, protocol, protocol. He, he's like a Vogon in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, it's all clerical. It's all protocol. We're not going to deviate from it at all. Right. And, and so this episode for me is seeing that struggle between the senior observer and the junior observer and them trying to find compassion again. And they've been They've been observing people at this planet that has the silicon virus for 10,000 years. <laughs> yeah. So the Klingons have a dumping ground on this planet. So these these Organians have been hanging around a landfill 
an alien landfill, watching people come to get infected by a crazy garbage dump <laughs> virus, and then watching right. them all die. For what did you say? 10,000 years? 10,000 years. Crazy yes. sadists. <laughs> how, how can you do that? And the only way you can do that, the only way you can live with yourself, uh, even if you perceive time as a, at, at a very quick pace, that's a long time. The only way you can you live with yourself, I feel, is if you write, uh, perceive everyone else as sort of inferior and um, – Hide behind that directive, that non-interference directive, as we see, as we see our own heroes do later when the prime directive becomes becomes a thing at points, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's a long journey to 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 let go of that that habit. It is a long journey, and finally, they're reaching a breaking point. But it's something about humans, of course. That's one thing about Star Trek is that, of course, we are the special ones in the universe, right? Yeah, because. Oh, yeah. Now, they, they name drop a couple of aliens here. The Klingons, of course, because they have the dumping ground there. They also name drop the Cardassians. Yeah. And they I say was, that the Cardassians visited. I was falling asleep last night watching the episode. So I watched this episode twice because I fell asleep last night. It was a long day, not because it was a bad episode. And I I was just about to sleep and they're talking in the turbo lift and then the, the word Cardassians comes out. I'm like, wait, what? What what show am I watching? What's going on? And it turned out when I looked it up, that wasn't the first mention of Cardassians on Enterprise. Not the first appearance, but the first mention. Right. Yeah. Yeah. First first uh, mention. Uh, Appearance-wise, when they hook Travis up to the machine. Yeah. Dead and, stop. Uh, and dead stop. There's a Cardassian that's hooked up to the- I know. He's in the little rack. They're like, they're like server room racks. So they slid a, oh, yeah. they slid a Cardassian server- into one of the racks. <laughs> That's right. You got to have that Cardassian security protocol if you want your creepy haunted house space station to work right. That's right. Um, we did that episode on the Reddit room, right? Remember? Yeah, we did. That yeah, was, yeah. I was around. Oh, I yeah, we called episode. it automated customer service from Hill. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. I would do that episode all over again. What a great time. But anyway. It is a great episode. Well, I mentioned special abilities too. And just to mention what these are as we move on into the discussion of some of the events here. They seem to be aware of events at great distances. This is something that Trefane displays in Aaron to Mercy when he knows what's happening with the ships out in space. Uh, they can resurrect the dead. We see that here in Observer Effect. And they can inhabit bodies and move from body to body at will, which we see in this Enterprise episode as well. And they can erase memories selectively. That's kind of what I found interesting is that they don't just erase memories. You know, they're not, they're not the mind sifter. <laughs> that we talked about. <laughs> mind sifter. Did I mention we have a mind sifter? Mind scanner. <laughs> so they can remove the memories that they were inside your body and inhabiting you, but you don't forget the things that you learned while they were controlling your body. You know, because we see here with with Phlox, for example, what he learns about the virus. You know, that doesn't just mm -hmm. vanish after he's been possessed and then released again that's true so that, that was interesting uh, and i also they also say it's not only can they are they capable of it but that it is a simple affair it's an easy thing to do yeah another ability they have is to halt the actions of humanoids because they're actually able to prevent in erin of mercy the klingons and the humans from fighting and they also can project themselves across light years because they appear on the home worlds of Federation planets and, and Kronos and tell everyone like, look, we're not going to let you fight. So yeah. 
that that's kind of an amazing ability actually there to project yourself across oh, light. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and and not just not just project one instance of yourself because yeah, you know, he said um the leader of the wise men, what's his name again? <laughs> right, that's Aelborn. Yes, Aelborn says he he says that I as I speak to you now, I also speak to you from your the home world of the Klingon mm-hmm. Empire and 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 Earth. But then he does not proceed as though he is simultaneously addressing three different bodies. There are obviously three different incarnations of him saying different versions of the same thing to different groups. So yeah, the, the, their abilities are um, really kind of stunningly, mind-bendingly cool. It's not just uh, the the body possession hour and you know mind reading for for amateurs. These guys are are for real, despite what Q says in the book. It's too bad he didn't put on some lipstick and say, we are of peace, always. <laughs> it is too bad. I wish – it's too bad I'm not, I'm not, I'm not well-versed enough in pop culture. What, what, I, the joke went over my head. I, I admit it. It's Anna from V. I, you, know, you know how bad I am? This, I feel worse than I did when I didn't recognize the movie that Tripp was talking about in this episode because I don't even know what you're talking about still. Even with the, the Andromeda strain, Michael. Oh, I Michael, know. Directed by Robert you. Wise. We've got to get me out of the house more is what we got to do. Michael Crichton's story. We've got to, we have got to get you on a sci-fi binge watching regiment. I know. We do. I, I, need, to get, <laughs> I need to get fit with it. <laughs> there's more to life than Android phones. Is there more to Michael life? Fisher. Yeah, no. There's Windows phones as well. I know that. It's all right. And there's, and there's iPhones too. I guess there are those too. That's what I hear. <laughs> no, I have one right here. Sure. And for three and, months, there was a phone called the Kin. Oh, that's a sad <laughs> story too. Oh. I guess the Organians did not see any potential in that guess, phone. And they went to Redmond and said, you guys, we're just not even going to let you start on this one. This, this disgusts us. We are immensely revolted by this. You cannot continue. <laughs> All kins are now 350 degrees. This phone revolts us more than the idea of interfering in other cultures. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And and the last thing is they seem to be able to possibly see into the future because they tell Kirk and Kor in Arena Mercy that in the future, you guys will be friends and you'll work together, the Klingons and the Federation. So you will become fast friends. Yeah. That's right. So that's a rundown of who the Organians are and what we knew about them coming into Enterprise. And we've already touched a lot on the things they do in this episode. But ultimately, the reason that they are on Enterprise, on the Annex 01, again, is that there is this planet that has a silicon virus. They hang out there. They watch humanoids come, get infected by the virus, see how they react to it. And of course, someone always dies. And... It seems sort of sadistic, but apparently they're trying to determine whether they should have first contact with one of these humanoid races. But they want to see not just intelligence, but they want to see rational intelligence in a humanoid race before they'll make contact with them. And so they possess the bodies of just about everyone on the crew at some point in the episode. I think even Porthos is... Oh, yeah. Possessed at one point in time, even though we don't see it. But if you remember in Aaron and Mercy, there's that scene where they're all sitting around the council table and they've got that cheese platter. 
Yes. And so and I think of, that's where they picked up their, their love of cheese. One of those pieces is missing. Yes, exactly. The, the fatal <laughs> piece of cheese. Yeah. That's why we don't see them much after DS9, you know. <laughs> you don't right. you don't live to be a million if you're eating that, that much cheese. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So um, and, and they possess the bodies. Trip and Hoshi die. They bring them back after they have a long conversation with Archer. And, and ultimately, as we'll talk about a little bit more, the, the, the interaction they have with Archer and the crew seems to trigger the event that allows their society to finally, after millions of years of being non-corporeal and 10,000 years of observing humanoids, allows them to start to evolve and become the Organians that we see in the original series. True. And I think they, they also soak up a little intelligence in the interim because the Organians in the original series seem a little brighter than the ones. Yeah. Then again, maybe you don't put your top guys on minding the Klingon garbage dump. Oh, no. But Man, yeah. these guys like they're when they're creeping on Hoshi and uh, Trip in the in the decon chamber, and they're just making no effort to be silent or anything. They're just kind of lapping at the window, spying on their conversation. And then after Hoshi and Trip become sedated, they inhabit them, but forget to turn off the surveillance camera. So <laughs> you have Archer and Flocks in the sick bay watching. The just <laughs> right. sedated Hoshi and Trip having a conversation. It's like, wait, you guys are not – for Organians, you're not all that, you know, quick. <laughs> That's right. Now, I see these guys as this planet. It's like the night shift or it's like yeah. in Starfleet when Uhura wants a quiet place and she gets to work that like transporter room that's in a closet somewhere. Yeah. That's what this is like, I think, for the Organians. Where was that? Was that on Space Dock or was that somewhere on Earth, that backwater transporter room? Do we know? It must have been on Space Dock because she beams them over onto the Enterprise, which was inside the Space Dock. Yeah, that's what I figured yeah. too. Then I started thinking about Space Dock and how many dirty corners like that it has. And it's like, wow, it just seems like a really crappy transporter. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it really was. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's, it's like a closet. So yeah. Mr. Adventure got put in the closet. That's a closet inside, inside a, closet. a closet. That's a meta right. closet. Yeah. That's oh, a meta crazy. closet. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. So so you, you were talking about how these Organians are not like the others when we were talking before the show. So we've given the background of who the Organians are, and, and now we're talking about how these two guys don't seem to be the best and brightest that the Organians have to offer. What else did you see here that that was different from what we knew before? Yeah, well, I mean, there is the there is the possession thing. You know, I think we've talked about it plenty. You know, they they can they can be body snatchers in in Enterprise when that that is not an ability that was even hinted at. I don't think in the original series in the in Era no. of Mercy, right? But you know, I think here it was used it was used well, and it makes all the sense in the world. If you if you're a non corporeal entity and you can phase into a very bright orb and then vanish essentially, and you can mm -hmm. exist on multiple planes in multiple places, sure. You can inhabit the the body of a of a corporeal being and manipulate memory. I really, I you know, I don't have a problem with that. Fundamentally, I I think I I was complaining because uh, about the Enterprise episode because these Organians just didn't seem evolved enough to be Organians. The one was you know Malcolm's character was very very narrow minded, and the other one just seemed way too young and and rebellious. 
But then I thought about uh, Coor in Errand of Mercy reacting to Kirk when he first meets him. And he says, oh, he assumes that Kirk is an Organian because that's the cover story. And he's – I forgot what his name is, uh, what Kirk's cover name – cover uh, – Oh, yeah. I don't remember is. anymore. Either. Yeah. It starts with a B. It's something weird. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway – yeah, it's Bill. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. Bernard. Um, no, and, and he, you know, Kirk is reacting kind of uncharacteristically of an Organian, but rather than setting off an alarm bell in Kor, who is presumably very smart as a military commander, he's just like, ah, you know, an Organian who doesn't like to be pushed. I like that. I can work with you. And so this allows for some degree of spectrum, you know, amongst the Organians. They are not this. Well, they're like the Q. There are many instances, many different personalities. Some of them, no doubt, more respectable than others. So I think we've kind of covered that with the night shift conversation too. A Q parallel here. Think of the senior observer who is possessing Malcolm at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. He's like Q. And the junior observer who's possessing Travis is like Quinn. Quinn. From uh, Death Wish. Yeah. Because... Q is more of maintain the status quo, have fun screwing around with other humanoids and just do whatever you want, where Quinn wanted change for the continuum and was willing to die for it. And sure. here, it's 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 very similar here. The, the junior observer is wanting change for this completely stagnant, non-corporeal, super-powered race. Right. It's it's interesting you use the word stagnant too because that's how Spock describes the simulation that the mm-hmm. Organians create for the original series. Yeah, there's yeah. no no you know it's not quite the same thing, but I I, I find that interesting there, that there might be a little parallel there. What one thing about that scene when they because I was trying to think why do they in TOS they've decided that they're going to set up this pre-industrial village and that's how they're going to interact with humanoids. And also, they're able to just turn into energy at that point, and they can take human form. Like, they don't have to possess someone. They can just take human form. And this is only 100 years earlier, and I I was thinking that the society would not change, and the capabilities of their race would not change that drastically in 100 years. So why do they need to possess the bodies of the Enterprise crew in this episode but then I'm thinking that they don't actually have to possess the bodies from a capability standpoint, but they do need to do it in order to observe because they have to blend into the crew. Right. They can – yeah, and it's a very practical solution to a problem. Yes, you could you could blend into a wall and observe that way. But what if you can – if you really want to learn about somebody, why not yeah. actively inhabit them and walk around and, and literally walk around in their shoes? I think that's a very nice way to to do it. And um, that's probably the way I would go about it if I were in the business of getting to know people in a surreptitious fashion, which I'm not, thankfully. (laughs) Or they could do, you know, the other option is to do what happens other times in Star Trek, like on TNG and Conundrum, where you have Commander McDuff, who's suddenly on the Enterprise. And who's this guy? You know, now, now there they did make everyone on the ship lose their memories. So when they wake up, they don't think there's anything strange about Macduff being there. But here, you know, they, they could 
they could take humanoid form and be a new crew member, but then that raises a lot of suspicions. Like, who are you? Especially on a ship the size of the NSF-1. ship that's so small. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You can get so away with that on that. a Galaxy-class starship, but you ain't going to do that on the USS submarine. Yeah. Everybody knows McDuff? everybody. Who are you? Oh, I'm I'm yeah. Argyle's cousin. You don't remember picking me up? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got a you sure got a vicious flair in here for a for a, a kin of Argyle. Let me see your <laughs> papers. <laughs> yeah. So, so so they are different, and as you describe them, they're kind of pared down versions of the Organians that that we knew before. And I think part of it is just. It's how they had to appear in order to carry out their mission. It's not necessarily an indication that their powers are truly weaker. No, I don't think so. No, no, no. I, I just, I mean, you know, as as characters, that's all. But I, yeah. I think the show, certainly Star Trek, leaves itself enough excuses to account for this. We can justify these changes over time. And, and right. you know, it's not a society of, of single-color you know, um, it, where everybody's painted with the same brush. There are individuals mm-hmm. in this society, and they mm-hmm. and I think they're all they can all be of different caliber and different mm-hmm. and so on. You know, that lets us do that. One other thing that came to mind, I wanted to to hear what you thought about this, how it compares to the Voyager episode, Scientific Method, where the crew, there are these aliens on oh. the crew who no one can see because they're kind of out of phase, but they're running all these scientific experiments on everyone and observing. Yeah how they react to things. And the, the reason I thought about it was that Enterprise is often criticized. I, I read a lot of criticism yesterday, actually, on a TV tag, which you know used to be Get Glue, because I always check in to what I'm watching on there. And I see people okay. posting their thoughts as they're watching Enterprise episodes. And I see a lot of criticism about how stories on Enterprise have been done before. And it's really hard. By the time they got to Enterprise... There's so many episodes of Star Trek that how do you keep coming up with new, truly fresh and original stories and the fact that you have Brandon Braga leading this show and he wrote so much of Voyager. It's it's not that he's just rehashing ideas, but it's just that when you write that much, you know, there's things in your head and they, oh, yeah. they do come back out, you know, similar ideas come back out. And there are a lot of similarities here. Did did you feel that, and or maybe you didn't think about it, but now that I mention it, do you see that, or do you do you feel that this episode has a little something extra because these aren't random aliens that are just running tests on the crew, but they actually are a callback to the original series? No, I think that's what the I think that's what the the episode was trying to do. Uh, I I think. I think scientific method is a more is a better episode. Mm-hmm. We we were able to learn more about about uh, how our characters behave under stress. We are able to see them make very very ill advised decisions because they're being put under such stress. And then we see how they deal with the people that are causing them this stress when they finally see. It. And because those aliens can be one off aliens, they could they could be written however the show needed them to be written. Whereas here, uh, these Organians have to conform to the original series Organians to a degree. There are um, elements of that have to be accounted for with respect to that. And also, well, and we're going to talk about this in a second, but, you know, I don't, I think at this point, Enterprise could either make a really good episode 
were a really forgettable one. And for me, that that this episode falls into the latter category. I think mm-hmm. that there was just not enough here. And uh, what was here was rehashes, not of what we saw in Scientific Method, but what we saw much too much in, in other episodes of Voyager, yes, and Enterprise, and to a lesser degree, the Star Treks before them, which is just, ah, we have a, a disagreement among the aliens who are not abor- who are aboard against orders. And we have <laughs> right. people breaking security codes really easily. Uh, you know, it's, uh, well, it's Michael, math is just crap. another language. Jeez, I wanted to throw my phone. I was watching it on my phone. I wanted to throw it. I was like, Come, just stop. Stop. But we're going to talk thing, about that in a second, right? <laughs> the thing is that I agree with Hoshi that math is just another language. I do not disagree either. That's and I, I see where she could figure it out. But not that quickly, right? Yeah, it, but but it's not <laughs> it's not ma- like you know. It, uh, uh, that's yeah. Let me think about that's for that another one. show. It, it okay. might be, yeah. But well, yeah, I agree with you. Scientific method is actually one of my favorite Voyager episodes, and I do think it's a much better episode. And and I agree with you too that this episode, I like observer effect for the fact that the Organians are there and that we're learning something else about them. But as an episode goes, it is a rather lackluster episode. And I do completely understand why you're falling asleep when you're watching it the first time. Because it is slow and it's confusing as well. And and, and sadly, it's not as intentionally confusing as I think it could have been. When T'Pol and Phlox come and they peek in and they look at Trip and Hoshi through the window... I would have loved it if they had not actually been possessed by the Organians at that point. And it made you wonder, like I wanted to wonder sure. who's possessed at what point in time through the episode, but it's sure. always, it's always clear who's possessed because it's the two Organians talking to each other and, and referencing the fact that my, my, my host right now is doing so-and-so. That's very true. I, yeah, the, I think what you're talking about is is seasoning. If I'm if I'm perceiving you correctly, I mean, I think this episode is much, very much in need of of some of the charm and the the, the delight, the the happiness that was um, that was manifest in, for example, the original series crew. Because watching this episode, watching um, Observer Effect back to back with Errand of Mercy, you learn. You learn about what it is to make really great Star Trek and really mediocre Star Trek. Not mm-hmm. that I think Errand of Mercy was a great, uh, terribly awesome episode of the original series, but it was a it was a good example of the how the original series could do character stories pretty well. Uh, and Observe Effect is a really good example of Enterprise not doing them very well because I mm-hmm. just didn't care about anyone. Now I want to ask you, Chris, because you probably watched this in in its first run, right? Yeah. So this is the fourth season of Enterprise. At this point, we know the show is not going to be picked up again for for another season. We know it's the last season. I think there's only like six episodes left. So when uh, when Hoshi died, died, and when Trip died, did you think? Do you remember thinking even for a second that maybe this was the end for them, or no. did you always know they were going to pull a Star Trek and be like, "Oh no, it's fine because aliens." No, I never thought they would actually die because just the thing about Star Trek is that 
they don't kill main characters. You know, it's right. only happened with Yar, and that's because she wanted off the show, mm-hmm. and Jadzia Dax because Terry Farrell. For some reason, the studio signed the DS9 actors to six-year contracts, <laughs> yeah. and Terry Farrell didn't want to come back for the seventh season, and right. so that was that. But otherwise, you know, they don't. It's one thing I love about Battlestar Galactica is, you know, they are willing to say, this guy you love, sorry, story calls for him to be gone. Right. You know, and and Star Trek, unfortunately, won't do that, and not that I want them to go around killing a lot of characters, but there are those moments where like you, you can create great drama. And plus in Star Trek, we know from Spock that you can always come back somehow. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, in that way, I think maybe the Battlestar uh, treatment would not have worked as well for some of the Star Trek series, although for Voyager, I think it sure. would work very, very well. But maybe I think the the in between zone between BSG and Star Trek is is lost because people died on Lost, yes, but ultimately the death was a malleable thing. Whether mm-hmm. you liked that or not, it, it at least allowed people to to kind of come back uh, periodically, if not you know. Permanently. I think with Lost and the way it ended, it's kind of like becoming part of the jury on Survivor, right? You're off the island, but at the end, you're there in the studio, except all the walls are white and it's a church. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And only one person (laughs) in the whole universe likes it, and it's me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, but since we're already talking about the the quality of this, this episode and such, I think that there are some parallels here, and they're weak, but maybe they're there, and you tell me if you agree with me or not, to the final season of the original series. Um, Enterprise is widely regarded as having gotten better right up until the end, and I think that broadly that's true. But mm-hmm. here is, I think, an example of where it broke from that, and we have some commonalities with episodes from the, the final season of the original series. We have a bottle show. There are no guest stars, so there's no real you know, seasoning there. It's just, it's just our friends, and that's fine sometimes, but in this episode it's pretty dull. And um, there's, there's just – the writing seems to be so loaded down with all of this – these hackneyed tropes and, and cliches and like, you know, you're defying procedure. Well, the procedure should be changed. You know, the, the, the actual dialogue is not far off from that and sometimes that's what you get with Star Trek. But often the show goes well beyond that and this one just didn't. It just stopped right at that and – we have the code problem that we talked about a second ago with Hoshi yeah. hacking a numeric keypad and okay, that's fine. Um, and just kind of a, a whole bunch of stuff we've seen before and I was was quite tired watching it. So it was um, it was it was sad to me because I, I like I said before, had enjoyed watching Enterprise kind of grow into something bigger as it as it went on and this seemed to be a really, just an example of just how 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 on its last legs the show was. I don't know. Did you get mm. that sensation at all? Or I don't know. I I think that let's not forget that season three of TOS included and the children shall lead. And <laughs> there's nothing in Enterprise's fourth season that compares to that episode in terms of badness. Right. <laughs> right. I I don't know. See, I'm I'm on the fence on this because. The general consensus absolutely is that Enterprise got better 
in the fourth season. And the fourth season is what the show should have been all along. However, I really like the first two seasons because that's when they were doing something, not, not every week, but generally speaking, that's when they were doing something different. That's when the show was more the, the premise of being closer to us and, and showing how we get to the, the Star Trek future that we already know. Yeah. Like you were mentioning in the last episode of this of this show, uh, a, a nice moment like that is that is Porthos running out of the shuttle pod across the yeah. plane, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's wonderful things, but it's just season. like the in the early seasons they and if, it sounds weird to say the early seasons when you only have four of them, but <laughs> in in the first two seasons it they feel more like ordinary people, and then what you're saying here is like you get more to the Star Trek tropes in the fourth season, and I think that knowing knowing that the show and Manny Koto came in and the show is supposed to be a prequel to the original series and there really hadn't been very much prequel to the original series in Enterprise up to that point. And then knowing that we've only got one season and they start just cramming and cramming and cramming. And so you get some really good stories. I mean there there's some there are excellent stories in season 4 and I and I really like mm-hmm. the little 3 episode arc format that they started using to tell those stories but i also feel sometimes like it's overloaded there's just too much being crammed in to the fourth season but i don't feel it doesn't feel like season three of tos to me in the way that season three is when you know that tos was just running on fumes budget had been cut studio wanted it out it was kind Mm -hmm. of like if you guys want to make the show, we'll put it on the air, but we're going to do everything that we can and, you know, not give you the resources that you need in order to do it properly. Right. No, that's true. They're, they're, they're thin bonds, but I, it, yeah. I, maybe it's just a bottle show with, with no guest and stuff, but, but really some of the, some of the, some of the writing just, um, you know, I, I, at some point that human exceptionalism that you brought up before becomes so Freaking tiresome. I mean, what I yeah. would have loved would would have just you know. There's that one interaction. There's, I, in 800 years, no one's ever done that before. No, not once they know it's hopeless. And it's like Archer pulling off his gloves. I'll be your hands. And like that doesn't make any sense at all. Enterprise <laughs> needs a doctor more than more than it needs a captain. Like, no, it always needs a captain. You know this this. <laughs> it, oh. So maybe it's that stuff that just really drove me up a wall. But I, I felt it kind of hindered an otherwise uh, interest concept yeah well you can look at it from another perspective if if the series is leading towards tos and we know that it's ultimately the humans who bring about the founding of the federation because the andorians and the vulcans are fighting Mm -hmm. and they're fighting the tellarites and people just don't quite get along you know i mean the the federation itself later on and at this point earth is the United States in space. It's how it's portrayed and it's natural because Star Trek is written mostly by Americans. Right. That if you put it on a 20th century, 21st century scale, it's the United States kind of maintaining peace around the world, getting people to cooperate and, and yeah. you know, post-World War One and Two mentality, bring about the end of the Cold War, which <laughs> looks like we're now heading into Cold War Two, but <laughs> it's, you know, where we are. But... But yeah. but Earth is presented like that, and so and and that's how Earth is in um, the original series, and it's how Earth is portrayed in Christopher L. Bennett's new books, The Rise of the Federation, which are 
published under the Enterprise name, but they're more like transition from Enterprise to TOS type books. And that's where you really see how the Federation is coming together. And we know that Earth is the catalyst of that. And so you could see you could see this portrayal of, of humans here. You know, in 800 years, no one's ever tried this, but now the humans are here and the humans are going to figure it out because they're better than all the other humanoids in the galaxy. You could just yeah. simply see that as building that bridge to say, you know, there is something exceptional about humans. There is something exceptional about Earth that that allows them to finally pull everyone together like we see in the original series. And so in that respect, even though I agree with you, it does get kind of tiresome, but if it's a building block to the original series, it does make some sense within universe in the writing. It does. But no, absolutely. And I, I, it's a, it's a totally valid point. And I'm, I'm just, I'm not trying to be a contrarian, but one of the, you bring up a contrarian. That's what Star Trek (laughs) is about. It should be about anyway. It, it, it brings up uh, memories of some of what the original series imbued in, well, in Star Trek that was later lost because I think a lot of the human exceptionalism came from next generation. Uh, mm-hmm. That that very kind of special special coddled feeling came when when oh, suddenly yeah. we were on the flagship with this storied name and it's oh yes. Whereas the original you know 1701 was just supposed to be kind of yes a starship a very special ship but only you know one of one of several. And so right. it's you know there was that kind of every man aspect to it or rather every person aspect to it rather than this kind of you know oh we're so great aren't we we're so, we humans you know yeah. Especially in TOS itself, you know, when the films came around, we had more of that feeling of this is a federation. But in in TOS, especially early on, it was just a human ship mm-hmm. out there with this one Vulcan on it exploring. Right. And we, we kind of retcon the original series now as True. thinking that it was always Vulcans and Andorians and Tellarites. And because, I mean, we even see Journey to Babel in the original series. So at that point, you know that... Uh, these races aren't all all happy with each other right. even at that point. But I think we, we we forget that because, like you say, of TNG, it's it's a century later and everything is very stable. And now mm-hmm. instead of exploring strange new worlds, we're just ferrying diplomats back and forth from planet to planet. Right. Putting out one more brush fire. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I've I've been sort of negative nancying enterprise this whole show and i'm sorry for it and uh, i do have something positive to say and that is that this and i'm not exaggerating i really think this is the first time in the whole series you see archer from the beginning of the episode to the end as a very sympathetic character i've said before i think scott bacula plays archer a little maybe a little harder than 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 maybe he than maybe i would have played him um, I, I don't think he's always very likable. I think he's a little gruff and, and kind of just cold and, and whatever. Um, but man, in this episode when maybe it, maybe it's because Trip died, maybe it's because it happened right in front of him. I don't know. But, you know, he's, he's on the verge of tears at, at points in his conversations with the, uh, well, I guess with reanimated Trip too. So that, that's another element to it, but with the Organians and you can just relate to him so well and so completely you know is is essentially his best friend has just died and and now he's not only trying to get them to reanimate him but to 
get them to understand why they should bring him back to life. And he mm-hmm. is the, you know, maybe there's something there. Maybe it's it's the power with which not just Scott Bakula plays it, but with with which Jonathan Archer argues that um, that the Organians are able to bring back with them to their next, you know, meeting in the in the in the castle on the hill, and uh, and talk about how great humans are. I think it's a really wonderful moment for Archer, and it's a great moment. Uh, it's great to see Bakula able to actually do what we know he can do because we've seen him do great things in other shows. Yeah. You know. you know, that reminds me too that the conversation that Archer has with the senior observer in particular really, really reminded me of the conversations that Picard had with Q. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're, 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 Picard is – you're talking about the conversations where he's kind of – uh, advocating for that human exception. Yeah, I see just, one day it's not just that. one conversation. You know, they happen a number of times throughout TNG. Yeah, but it's what a that piece of where, work is man. Right. You know, Picard is is arguing on behalf of the potential of humanity, whereas yeah. Q is saying that you're basically not worth our time. Right. 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 It's it's that and. In that way, we've we've had three captains arguing with uh, virtually omnipotent beings in the same vein. Because Kirk has a similar argument with the Harganians in in the original series in uh, Errand of Mercy, mm-hmm. and there I think it's a little bit more um, memorable because he's he's arguing for the right to wage war, and then he realizes how stupid he sounds and, and how much <laughs> of a barbarian he sounds, and he says as much at the end of the episode. And that's a wonderful little moment there where we have the right to. To to kill millions, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know. So anyway, well, and you have Cisco with the prophets too, in a way, oh, arguing on behalf of that, especially when he asks them to intervene <laughs> and stop the <laughs> yes. Dominion fleet from coming through the wormhole. Stop those ships! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> help me. <laughs> <laughs> Avery Brooks, you are a gem. A gem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, to to bring this back towards to to bridge this to TOS, one, one last thing here. Do you see this episode in any way as a setup for Aaron or Mercy and the Organians' reaction to the Klingons and the humans and their decision to intervene? Or do you see it as just a way to pick up one of those somewhat obscure races from TOS and tell us a little bit more about them? You know, I, I think it was the latter. I I, I don't have any uh, more info than, than you do on it, but it, it just seemed to me to be like, hey, we hear about the Organians all the time. Let's spend a little more time with them. Let's see what we can do with them. And, you know, I don't think they we're able to do that much with them, but I certainly think it was worth a shot. And we got some fun stuff out of this episode. And certainly we got to see our friends on Enterprise. Um, it's always nice to see actors do what they can with a role that, that, you know, with a possessed part. And that was fun. I think everybody had some fun with it. The possible exception of T'Pol, who was, you know, just T'Pol all the time. I don't know. Now, Michael, listeners uh, to this show, uh, it may be the first time they're hearing you. They may not know you actually are a stage actor. Do you, Have you ever played a possessed person before? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I've played a couple of ghosts. There were some, some uh, 
some interesting disembodied moments. It played Banquo a few times in the Scottish play, and when he comes back as a ghost in the banquet scene, and that's that's fun. But but possessed, I don't know. Maybe not to the degree of that we see in in Star Trek and. I think maybe that's sad. In that Scottish play, you didn't start screaming Klingon. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Although I was so mad at, at at a professor once that I almost did uh, the um, "to be or not to be" speech in Klingon. I almost memorized it and, and delivered it as such in an act of defiance. But it, in typical Michael Fisher fashion, I did not follow up on that threat. So sad. Now I do know that you once went into an audition and you did Guinan's scene. <laughs> I sure did from Generations. Yeah. Guinan's excellent monologue about the Nexus. Yeah. What a wonderful time that was. I wish I'd done that more than once, but <laughs> I didn't get the part. <laughs> well, it's because you didn't wear the right hat. That's exactly right. I did not have 40 million candles around me either, which I think would have cinched it. <laughs> well, it's all about the mood, Michael. It's not just the speech. It really it's is. the mood. You, know, you need gee, the candles. Th- that's what I have to remember. All right. Next time I'm going in with fire. Thank you. You know Thank that you. Picard has like two officers with giant fire extinguishers <laughs> stationed outside Guinan's right quarters outside. at all times. <laughs> That's the problem. That's why they couldn't salvage Enterprise D. Like the crash didn't kill the saucer. It's Guinan's quarters catching on fire that trashed the whole thing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Troy's been getting a bad rap all these years. It was Guinan's exactly fault. Exactly right. <laughs> she, she went off to the Nexus and left all of her candles lit. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh, man. All right. Well, I, I got a little bit more out of this, I think, than than maybe you did, but it is me reading. I don't think the writers really intended it, but just reading it in, as I said early in our discussion, I really like the interaction between the senior observer and the junior observer here, because mm-hmm. I really do get that vibe that the junior observer is finally going to go back to the organiums, back to the council table or wherever they are in their non-corporeal form and be a catalyst for change. And so I think this episode does give us some some things to play with if we want to kind of extrapolate extrapolate how they get to where they are in Aaron of Mercy. But it's it's not clean, you know, it's not like a really obvious thing because the time doesn't quite work out and and such, but but it gives us a few things. It's fine. I'm glad they revisited the Organians because it would have been really easy to just totally forget those guys and have them be a one-off on TOS. Agreed. No, I, I think you're right, and it's not clean, and it, it's seldom clean when you try to join different different you know shows, timelines, and stuff like that. And certainly with Enterprise and the original series. But no, I agree with you. It's a lot of fun to to try to connect those dots, and I certainly don't think it's impossible. There's, like I say. This is not a single being we're talking about. This is many, 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 many minds inside the Organian culture. So I'm, I'm with you, Chris. That That is fun. And uh, I commend you for ex- expending the mental energy to do it. Absolutely. Well, Michael, Organians aren't the only thing that we've been talking about on the network this week. We've actually been inhabiting the bodies of hosts all over the world to talk about Star Trek. And here are some of those things. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. A lot time commentary. He's got his, I love his room with yeah. the weird lights. And <laughs> well, he, he shops at Spencer's. Yeah. Well, yeah. whatever that is. <laughs> oh, poor Colin. Oh, that joke will kill in America. Earl Grey. Jordy LaForge. 
they're you know Sherlock and Watson flying in the face of copyright laws that they didn't realize <laughs> at the time. <laughs> the Ready Room. Emergence. The entire scene that Picard and Beverly have is about one-upping each other with pointless <laughs> trivia about the yeah. Orient Express that they each have. Well, did you know? Well, Beverly, I knew that, but did you know this? And it's like, <laughs> I'm like what is the point of the scene? I don't. The orb. Trail on trial. There are motifs that carry through, like right, her and, hands behind her back. Right, exactly, and that's where I think you get the variation on a the theme. You know, it's not a new song. It's not even a new verse. It's a reordering of notes to create something different and yet similar. To the journey! Costumes on Voyager. Take that, Enterprise D. That's right. You think your mind was blown in 87. Just wait until you see it in 97. <laughs> Warp 5. TOS Impressions of Seasons 1 and 2. Once I actually started watching it, I began to understand that it was about our future leading into TOS. It's more of a sequel for us than it is a prequel for TOS. Commentary, Trek stars. The X-Files, Small Potatoes. When I get to this episode, I get excited. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is one of the ones that I continually find more things to like about it. Melodic Treks. The music of unlocked time. Yeah, we can do a Muppets podcast, too. I mean, at this point, we might as well, right? Right. I mean, we're doing every other show. <laughs> Literary Treks. The Return of the Serpent. So they all shoot the dinosaur, and then they look back, and they the Klingon... to shoot the dinosaur. And then the Klingon's like, no, I can't do it. I don't want to shoot him. I can't. If I do it, then I'll turn into one of those Klingons that I don't like. You mean one of the Klingons that's helpful? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows for you, and you'll find them in a wide variety of places, including on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can download or stream from the website. So go grab some shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. So, Michael, since the last time we recorded an episode of Warp 5... We had some feedback from listener William Jinx in Ames, Iowa. And William said that he uh, just listened to our T'Pol episode. And he said, one of the things I thought you might have discussed, and I am serious about this, was that T'Pol's outfits made her breasts seem, shall we say, inhumanly large for the first (laughs) couple of seasons. But the Federation uniform toned them down considerably Seeing the two outfits in quick succession leaves no doubt about the apparent deflation. I thought Ms. Blaylock was a very attractive actress regardless, but always had difficulty with the original look, which struck me as comparable to a Vulcan Barbie in a cat suit. A quick Google image search suggests that the look in the last couple of years was more in keeping with her already remarkable anatomy. But there is, there is a, a good point to this here, Michael. He asks, okay. why was it necessary to make someone who is already almost impossibly attractive have an even more impossible-looking body? Has there been any serious discussion by her, Brennan, or others uh, on this point? And um, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I think what William's getting at here is, why do you have an... And it kind of goes back to TNG with Troy as well, when they would put her in like little skin-tight suits, and later they let her actually wear a Starfleet uniform. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and on Voyager 2, you know, they put Seven in that cat suit, but then you've got episodes like Relativity where we get to see her in an actual Starfleet uniform. Did, did that ever bother you when, when they would do this to the female leads? And do you like it better when they put them in just the ordinary uniforms? You know, it, it didn't bother me at the time, Chris, because frankly, I wasn't aware of I wasn't aware that maybe I should be offended or, or mm-hmm. not offended, but, you know, disturbed or whatever you want to call it. Um, I was com- completely unaware of my status, of my privileged status until actually somewhat recently. And but I, I remember reading about the, the tribulations that Jerry Ryan had on Voyager uh, regarding that. And certainly Kate Mulgrew was very against not necessarily bringing her on, but throwing her in this kind of TNA boosting cat suit. Yeah. And, and the, 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 the infuriating thing about that for me was that Jerry Ryan didn't need that. Right. We didn't need to have her masked by her beauty because she was a phenomenal actress. I think I, I thought mm-hmm. it was, she did a bang up job with that role and, and did wonderfully. I'm not as big a fan of Jolene Blaylock's work on Enterprise, um, but I don't think that she needed to be in the catsuit either. She certainly is stunning, but I really think it devalues the show, particularly when the show is um, – I'm rambling a little bit, but after Into Darkness, a lot of my friends saw Into Darkness and they were like uh, railing against the some of the vaguely misogynistic elements of it. And my ready response to anyone who criticizes Star Trek is always like, hey, Star Trek is one of the most progressive shows on TV and it always has been and, and et cetera. But that hasn't always been the case when it comes to, to women as, as due to some of the issues you mentioned, Chris. So I think the T'Pol catsuit was an outgrowth of Voyager thinking. I think they saw what yeah. Jerry Ryan did for did for that show and they, they wanted to – extrapolate one more bit of the winning formula and apply it to something that really didn't make any damn sense. A Vulcan yeah. in a skin tight suit makes no freaking sense to me and I don't think it should ever have been done. So that's that's my thinking on that. Right, because the implication with T'Pol was that that was some sort of Vulcan military uniform, right? I mean, she was a sub-commander and, and I just right. don't think Vulcan's walking around that uniform. So, so yeah, I, I don't know... William, but I'm with Michael on that, that um, I'm not personally offended by it when they, you know, put female characters in suits like that. But I also think it's not necessary. And I think it's more often than not a play for ratings, a play to sexualize the show in the hopes that it will pull in more viewers. Um, if, If it's done because it's the style of the time, or if it's done because the story calls for it in some way, then it's fine. You know, I'm yeah, I don't mind, but um, but yeah, I, I I get what you're saying. So so William, thanks so much for listening to the show. I'm glad you found us, and thanks for your message. And for everyone else, if you'd like to send some feedback, you can do that in several ways. You can go to trek.film/contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose warp five, and that will come to us by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website, or you can go to our forums at trek.film/forums to talk to us and other listeners. And in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com/trekfm, and you'll also find us on Twitter, where we're always tweeting away about Star Trek under username trekfm. Now, Michael, when you're not trying to figure out which body you should inhabit to get the latest scoop on a new tech gadget for Pocket Now, <laughs> where can people find you? 
that that moment that you postulate never exists. I'm always trying <laughs> to find a new tech tech body to inhabit. Uh, but if you want to find me while I'm doing that, I am often tweeting at Captain Two Phones on Twitter. It's Captain the number two phones. That is where I dispense most of my wisdom, electronic and otherwise. And if you like hearing my voice, you can find me at the Pocket Now Weekly Podcast. We have never missed a show in uh, 88 episodes now. Wow. We talk about That's yeah, Android, uh, iOS, Windows Phone, and wearables, and BlackBerry sometimes. And it's a wonderful time, and we can be found on all the major podcast networks. Excellent. And there are even some videos of you there doing product reviews where you're running around outside like you're on an away mission. That's exactly, that's exactly <laughs> right. I, I, I fully intend to carry that tradition forward. Oh, it's going to be April Fool's Day again soon. I got to do another one of those. <laughs> Great. Very good. Well, if you'd like to find me, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And elsewhere on the network, you can find me on Literary Treks with Matthew Rushing, where we talk Star Trek books and comics, and we interview authors. And in fact, we mentioned Greg Cox's old Q book in this episode today. We actually had Greg on the show this week to talk about his new novel, which, Michael, is the meeting between Captain Kirk and Seven of Nine. It's called No Time Like the Past. What? Really? <laughs> yeah. That happened? That happened. Can... Wow. So uh, you can tune into that. And Matthew and I also do The Orb together, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine every week. I have an interview show called Matterstream. And also I have a new show called Continuing Mission, which is all about the fan series of Star Trek. And Doug Drexler's with me on the first episode of that and uh, then I also do The Ready Room every week with hosts from all across the network, and we talk about Star Trek news and all five live-action Star Trek series. And uh, Michael here is with us pretty often for Deep Space Nine episodes of The Ready Room and sometimes Enterprise as well. That is right. Tarak Noor, find me there. Great times. <laughs> Before we let you go, I'd also like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show. That's Audible.com. Audible is the best source for audiobooks you'll find online. They have more than 150,000 titles waiting for you right now. They add hundreds of new titles every week. They have new releases, current bestsellers, classics, radio dramas, lots of Star Trek books as well. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up, you can choose any book you like absolutely free. And if at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, you get to keep that book. So there's nothing to lose. But by signing up for Audible, you'll be helping us keep Warp 5 coming to you every week because Audible helps support the network. So again, check it out at audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support. We also wanted to invite you to check out Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Federation. If you like the jazz cover of Where My Heart Will Take Me here on Warp 5, maybe you like it better than the version used on the show, you'll find that, plus nine other jazz renditions of music from across Star Trek. So go, pick up the album on iTunes or on Amazon. Great stuff there by Andrew. Absolutely. How about you, Michael? Do you, would you rather have a jazz version of Where My Heart Will Take Me as you see the progression of mankind's journey into space? I mentioned to you before that I am a contrarian, so there's an impulse within me to say, no, Chris, everyone's wrong. The version <laughs> they use is fine. But no, it's horrible. It's a horrible, horrible <laughs> song, and I would rather have anything than it. And certainly, yes, the jazz cover by Andrew 
qualifies absolutely yes yes <laughs> all right very good there's one more thing you can do to help us keep the show coming to you if you would like to help us out you can go to trek.fm slash donate and make a donation to the network our shows are free for you to download but they're not free for us to produce we have a lot of expenses related to production hosting and bandwidth and if you want to help us out, you can do that at trek.fm slash donate. We have different levels of contributions for you to choose from. And we have some great original alien illustrations for you as badges and art prints as a thank you. So go check it out. See what's right for you. Trek.fm slash donate. And we really thank you for helping us keep the network going. Well, that's it for another show. Michael, thanks so much for joining me today to talk about Organians. Thank you, Chris. And for everyone else... Join us again next time here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>